Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. remain standing as we read God's holy word and trust in his presence to be with us throughout this entire worship service. Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that your word and your presence and your goodness and your truth would be with us, that we may soak in your Holy Spirit and know your truth and love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what is unique about Mustang United Methodist Church? That's one of the things that I wondered when I was appointed here in June, is, is, what, is what is it that, that this church does better than anyone else, and what is it that's unique about this place? There are so many great things that, that we do here in this church, and I am just so thankful for all the, the, the just wide-ranging number of ministries that we have. But there was one thing that, that kind of stood out to, to me as I got here. It's just all the number of, of families who have individuals with special needs in our congregation. Um, that, that it seems like that at every event that I was at and every worship service that I was at, that there were, there were people who had special needs. And then as we had conversations with people, that seemed to be a theme, that there, we had teachers and other folks who had studied uh, people who have special needs. And so it was just amazing to say, okay, God, what are you doing here? And so a few weeks ago, we had a, a meeting, a, a conversation um, to talk about special needs in our church and in our community. And why, what is it about this place that had brought so many people here? And so it was an amazing conversation we had on a Sunday afternoon. We met in the parlor, and, and there were parents and grandparents. There were people who just had a heart for it. There were professionals in the room. And we talked about what does it look like to be a church that ministers to individuals who have special needs and their families. And it was amazing just hearing their stories and um, the similar uh, stories that would be just sort of pinged across the room. And, and they would be like, yes, that, I feel that exact way too. Now, one of the, one of the people that we have in our community who, who a lot of you might know is, is Barbie Grider. Um, Barbie is our children's minister. She also runs our preschool, Growing God's Children Preschool. And, and she has a daughter with special needs, Brittany, and they're both uh, here along with Wilson here today. And so earlier this week, I, I sat down with Barbie and we had a conversation about what is it like to be a parent um, of, a, of an individual who has special needs. And so this is the conversation we had this week. Well, I'm here with uh, Barbie Grider. And uh, Barbie, just tell us a little bit about um, what is, uh, tell us a little bit about your daughter, Brittany. Brittany is 36 years old. 
She lives in a group home at the Center of Family Love in Oak Archie. We knew uh, the day we brought Brittany home from the hospital that she was different, that she was special. She didn't do the typical um, things that most newborns do. So it's been quite the journey with her the last 36 years. <laughs> I, I can imagine. So what yeah. is her diagnosis? She was finally diagnosed at age 15 with a syndrome. It's Pallister-Killian mosaic syndrome. And it has to do with an extra chromosome. It's a chromosomal disorder. Well, and I imagine probably as a, as a mom, just those 15 years, you're just trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Yeah, lots of, um, lots of grief, lots of blaming myself, not knowing really what happened or, you know, what we did wrong. So, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, well, so I have a couple of questions. The first one is, what are some of the things that having a daughter with special needs has, has taught you? Uh, lots of patience, uh, lots of compassion. Um, made me a much stronger mom, I think, in a lot of ways. You have to fight for a lot of things for your child with special needs. Okay. Yeah. yeah, well, I imagine especially kind of as she was growing up and people didn't know, you didn't know right. what, what was right. going on. Now, now, she doesn't speak, but she certainly communicates. Tell she us a little bit about that. She communicates. She's nonverbal, but she makes her needs known. <laughs> she will grab you by the hand and take you to what she needs, and she'll let you know in her own way, if she's displeased with something or if she's happy with something. Okay, okay. She communicates. Yeah, yeah. So what is, what do people not know about what life is like um, having a child with special needs, or, and even when they get into adulthood, what that means? Um, it can be very isolating as a parent. It can be very lonely as a parent, both when they're small and even more so when they become adults. Um, you lose a lot of friendships over the years because, um, especially with friends that may have kids that are typical, and they don't understand the extra struggles with that. And even into adulthood, um, you know, the age that Wilson and I are now, a lot of our friends are empty nesters, and we are in a sense, but we will never be completely that. We will always, from now until the day we die, have to take care of Brittany and her needs. I mean, even though she doesn't live with us 24-7, her needs are always going to be our responsibility. So it's always on your mind. Always. And, and you, I mean, you've said a couple of things here. I mean, isolation, mm -hmm. loneliness, grief. Mm -hmm. all, and, and that's, I mean, as you've interacted with other parents who have children with special needs, those are really common with Very everybody. Very common. Yeah. 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 Um, and so what have been some of the challenges, particularly um, like going out in public? Um, that's one of the things that I've learned about is just how kind of anxious that can be. So what are some of a the challenges? A lot of anxiety in her case and in a lot of kiddos that are especially children that are nonverbal. Um, you're, always, you're always on edge as a parent. You're always waiting for that meltdown. Nine times out of ten it's going to happen in public in the middle of Walmart when everybody, you know, sees it and hears it. And you're just always on edge and uh, you're always aware of the whispers and the stairs, and just a lot of uncomfortableness. Yeah. yeah. I could, I'll say, I, yeah. I can imagine a little bit, but just not all, I mean, just the constancy would just mm -hmm. seem to be a whole lot with that. Now, what are some of the things that, as you've been out in public, and, and I mean, it could even be church, but what are some of the things that have been helpful that, that people do as they interact with you and with Brittany and with your family? The most helpful thing for me and for Brittany is if you're curious, just ask. You know, don't whisper and don't... The whispers and stares are very hurtful. Just ask. Um, 
And Brittany is still a person. Any individual with special needs is still a person. And I think that's what a lot of people fail to remember is I've heard through the years and even still do today, you know, I don't know what to say to them or how to act around them. We'll treat them like a person. You know, Brittany loves for people to come up and shake her hand and she'll make eye contact and um, just treat them like a person Yeah. first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that seems like such a, again, maybe sometimes for those of us who haven't had a lot of mm-hmm. experience, we get anxious and well, yeah. we don't know what to do. Yeah. Um, but, but just imagine the anxiety that obviously the, you might be feeling or others might be feeling and just kind of take that initiative to, right. to go, go. Is there anything we as a church have done particularly well um, that, that's helpful for families with special needs since we have, it seems like we have a, a good number of them. We do. We have, we're getting more and more families with special needs and I think that's because we're a welcoming church. Very welcoming and uh, my church family here has always treated Brittany like family. Good. And that means a lot to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, and uh, thank you, uh, Barbie, for, for sharing, and uh, uh, the Grider family, they're sitting over here. And so I, I want to just do something today, I just sort of felt led to do it, is I'm going to say Grider family, and then you guys say you belong here, okay? Because that's just sort of who we are as a family, all right? So Grider family, you belong here. amen, amen, because this is who we want to be, is a place where people feel like they belong and they, they fit, even though we are all different and we all have our own sort of uh, journey, that this is a place where people can feel like they belong. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about what does it mean when we say special needs, what do we mean by that? And so there are some different types of special needs. Um, the first would be kind of physical special needs. And so um, that could be something like muscular dystrophy or MS. It could even be um, being unable to physically move around the way that, that normally uh, people could move. And so we have, we have some people who have some physical types of special needs that, that are in our community around us. And that doesn't, and we're not just talking about children or, or youth, but of all ages. Um, some of our older folks are obviously some of the folks who might have some physical challenges. There are also developmental kinds of special needs. And so this might be Down syndrome or autism, anywhere on that autism spectrum, dyslexia, processing disorder. There's these developmental things that are going on in people's lives and in their stories. There are behavioral and emotional uh, special needs, and so that might be ADD or ADHD. Maybe you know somebody who is bipolar, or they have oppositional defiance disorder, These, these emotional behavioral things that are part of their life and their story. There are also sensory impaired. These might be people who are hard of hearing or hard of seeing. They might be blind or deaf. But these people whose senses aren't able to receive everything. And the last thing that I would say would be trauma. Um, there, are, there are people in our community and even in our church who have went through traumas that um, are, are just so incredibly difficult. And, uh, and, the, and those traumatic stories and those traumatic situations make such a powerful difference into their lives. And, and how you might parent or, or how you might be a teacher of a, of a child with trauma or a Sunday school teacher of a child with trauma is different um, than you might with somebody who hasn't gone through the same thing. Now, how prevalent is this in our 
community. I was looking on the, the Mustang Public School website, and uh, the best I could figure out is that about 17% of our children in schools are somewhere with a special need. Now, again, this is a really broad, broad term, all right? But 17%, so about one out of six, are somewhere where they might have either kind of a 504 or an IEP um, on the plan, all right? And so some of those are, are things that they can work through and um, they get better, and others of those are more permanent in their faction and everywhere in between. But as you can imagine, the need is huge in our community and in our church and in our neighborhood. And Barbie did such a great job of talking about the experiences of what it is like to, to be a, a parent who, who has a child with special needs. And, and during that conversation, it was amazing to me just to, just to see a world that I, I really hadn't thought about entering into, about what would it be like. One of the things that, that they told us um, the parents would be is that anytime they would go into a setting, they would have an exit strategy, all right? Now, I notice that you all like to sit near the back and near the edges just in case, you know, I say something offensive. You can leave immediately, right? But, this, but, but for a family that has an individual who has a special need, they're, they're always wondering, okay, if my child acts out, has, an, has something that happens, what am I going to do? Where is my exit going to be? Does that mean I just leave my stuff at Walmart and, 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 and go and just leave everything there? What is it like when I walk into a room full of people? How do I, how do I engage and how do I get out if I feel like my, my child is, is going to be a distraction? And there are those stares, those whispers, those wonderings, and there's always this anxiety that is going on. Now, during the conversation, I asked parents, I said, parents, what do you need? And what was interesting is they talked about their children's needs. And I said, no, 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 parents, what do you need? And they talked more about their children's needs. And I said, okay, parents, tell me what you need. And one of the things they told me was that 75% of marriages that have a child of special needs end up in divorce. 75%. And so I don't know exactly what we as a church, how we can walk alongside these families, um, but we really want to try to be the church that walks alongside these families to help our families have the support and care they need. Because I think the gospel tells us a little bit about it and tells us how we are called to love one another. In Luke chapter 14, we get this fascinating interaction between Jesus and this prominent Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were this religious group of people who were sort of prominent in their community and, and were just sort of, in some ways, just powerful people. And so they had invited Jesus on the Sabbath to have a meal with him. Now, um, Jesus, he was not always the most appropriate house guest because he would just stir stuff up every once in a while. And so when he was at this dinner in Luke chapter 14, we find multiple ways in which Jesus sort of stirred stuff up. The first thing that, that Jesus stirred up was that he healed somebody who had a need on the Sabbath. Now, that was a religious no-no that he did, but Jesus did it anyways because he knew that people needed healing and he offered that. The next thing that he did was he noticed how people were sitting. And so the way that they would be sitting was how I tried to play high school basketball. So I, I, I was at Owasso and I, I played high school basketball. Now I say played, that's really not the right word. The right word is practice high school basketball, all right? Um, but and so I, I, I hardly ever played and I was okay with that. Other people were better than me and I knew that. All right, And so what would happen, though, during the games was at the beginning of the game, I would always get the seat right next to the coaches. All right, And I was always hoping that Coach Hightower would, would you know, we'd be struggling, 
And he'd look down, he'd look right to me, you know? And he'd say, tiger's the answer to our problem. Tiger, get in there. But he never did. He just looked past me, all right? And he, and he would call somebody else. And so then what would happen during the game would be I would start next to the coaches, but when somebody got subbed out, the coaches would talk to them, so I'd move down a seat, all right? And then somebody else would get subbed out, and so I'd keep moving down. And by the end, my, I, I, who exalted myself next to the coaches, was humbled at the very end, and I was at the end of the bench where I belonged, all right? Um, and so this is what was happening at the dinner table, is that there was people who were, they were sitting near the host. They, they saw themselves as a prominent guest, and Jesus said, no, 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 no. So don't, don't, don't find the seat nearest the host at the head of the table, but instead sit at the end of the table and let the host invite you forward. He said, all those who humble themselves will be exalted, and all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And then we come to the text that we have here. Let me read it for you one more time. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, and he's talking to people who are, who's giving a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus, who tells this Pharisee who invited him to dinner, said, when you invite people to dinner, don't do it the way you've done it. Now, the Pharisees were all about people who would return the favor, right? That, that, that they were all about having relationships with people based on what the other person could do for them. And so that that way, if they needed something, they would say, well, you owe me one. Now, we sometimes do this unintentionally, right? You invite my, my kid over for uh, dinner, and I think, oh, I'm going to have to invite your kid over for dinner, right? All right, or maybe we remember who got us a birthday present. And we think, oh, when it's their birthday, I better remember to send them a card. Or, so, you know, we get sick and, and, we, and people bring us meals, and then we're thinking, oh, gosh, I hope they don't get sick because I don't want to make them a meal. Right? This is sort of, and some of this is good, that we want to be able to, to engage in, in, in practices that encourage one another and, and love one another. But just be, but oftentimes the problem is, is the reason why. Why do we do what we do? And so what Jesus tells us to do is to not do something for somebody because of what they can do for you, but instead do it because they are a person. At my previous appointment, there was a, a gentleman, and he actually designed Gallagher Iva Arena and Boone Pickens Stadium. Um, his name was Gary Sparks, and, um, and I thought there was a part of me that wanted to be Gary's friend because I thought, if I'm Gary's friend... Like, then I could go get a good seat at the OSU game. That would mean a lot to me. But as I began to think about it, that's not the reason to be Gary's friend. Be Gary's friend because he's Gary and Jesus loves him, not because of what he can do for me. But so often we think, oh, I need to be with this person because of what they can do for me. Instead of just being with a person because they're a person who God has created and dearly loved. And so Jesus totally challenges the notion of dinner and a feast for the Pharisees and I think for us. And so while I do think it's good to have a feast and invite your family and invite your friends and invite people that you care about, he reminds us that it's also as important to invite people who don't necessarily fit in and who wouldn't always get the same invitation. Invite people who can't repay. Now one of the reasons, um, he says, is that you will be blessed. 
Here's one of the things that I know as I engage with people is that I'm blessed when I engage with people just as they are and not as I want them to be or think they should be. But when I meet people just where they are, I am blessed. As the staff and and I, we've been reading a a book together in the name of Jesus. And it's about, it's a gentleman by the name of Henry Nowen who was this Harvard professor, but he he really felt that God led him out of this being a Harvard professor to go and enter into a home with people who have developmental challenges. And it was there when his education didn't matter, when, when his smarts and intellect didn't matter, that he really found life in Jesus being amongst the people that God had created and whom he loved. And it's this great model that God calls us to be with people because we learn so much. One of the things that Barbie told me about the center of family love is, is that the people who are there, none of them look their age. They all, they all look younger than they are because they don't have the wear and tear of life. They face each day anew. There's joy in the simple things often, and they get to be present with one another, and they provide a gift for us. They become a blessing for us when we're around people who can't repay us. But also we get to trust that Jesus will take care of us. It talks about in the resurrection of the just, that this is what it means to be God's people, that we love others as we would like to be loved, that we meet them just where they are as they are. There aren't these qualifications. If you're a person, you are loved. In fact, that's one of the most important things that we can do is, is sort of people first. So often we might identify people by, um, by their developmental challenge or, or by their sin or by their brokenness. But this proves as a reminder that just as Barbie said in the video that we are people first and that that is who God has called us to be. And so everybody that we interact with, let's not identify them by their roles, but let's identify them that they are a person dearly loved and created by God who, if we get a chance to know them, we would love them. Uh, Mr. Rogers, one of my favorite quotes from him, he said, there isn't anybody who if you didn't get a chance to hear their story, you couldn't learn to love. And so as people, let us sit and be with people and help them to learn to love and also us learn to love as well. Now, why do we do this? Because Jesus invited us to his heavenly feast. There is nothing that we can do for Jesus that's going to repay what he did. If God dealt with people the way that we often do in terms of what can you do for me, it would be a very different world, right? He doesn't need us, but God chooses through Jesus to embrace us, to welcome us as we are and to invite us to the gospel feast. And so we who are far from God and who God doesn't need, he says, come and be part of my family. Come and feast. Come and eat. So what does this mean for us as a church? A few weeks ago at that at that meeting as we were having a conversation we said okay God where are you at work and they began to talk about our Christmas Eve service so a few years ago Donna started a a Christmas Eve service for families targeted at families who had individuals who had special needs and so the the families were talking about how great that was and and Reuben had had gotten bells and so when they saw their color up they could play this bell and they were able to participate in in the music there was a, a short message it was only 30 minutes long Um, And so we said, we just, the family said, we love that. We love that it was only 30 minutes because that gave us an opportunity to to sit and be. And and sometimes an hour is a long time. And and I think really so so many of our our services are designed for adults to sit for an hour. And it's hard for for an individual with special needs or frankly a lot of us 
to do this. And so what would it look like to have a, a service or a community that would be different? And so I decided that I would retranslate this text. I don't normally do this because I'm really not a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar, and I, um, I don't want to mess things up, all right? But I retranslated the text for us and for our purposes. So I changed the word from dinner to worship. So when you host a worship service, do not invite your friends, family, or rich neighbors, lest they put a lot of money in the offering plate. But when you host a worship service, invite the people with autism, Down syndrome, blindness, PTSD, depression, Alzheimer's, and you will be blessed knowing them. And, you, and they may not be able to put as much money in the offering plate, but you will be repaid in God's eternal kingdom. Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.